0: You are listening to Stories from Palestine podcast, a podcast recorded in Palestine and about Palestine. My name is Crystal. I am originally from the Netherlands, and I am married to a Palestinian. We live in Beit Safafa between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and we run Singer Cafe and Al Jissar Bar in Beit Zahour. Before moving to Palestine in 2013, I worked as a teacher and tour guide in the Netherlands. I have a degree in history and in tour guiding and many years of tour guiding experience. Due to the COVID pandemic, tourism in Palestine came to a complete halt, and that's why I started Stories from Palestine podcast in August 2020. This is the second year of the podcast with every week on Monday a new episode about the history and heritage of Palestine as well as the reality of life today. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. I want to start this episode by thanking everyone who made a contribution, small or big, to the crowdfunding campaign that I announced last week on social media. Because with your support, I managed to get a new wireless microphone and clip on transmitter so that I can do more podcast recording on location. And I tried out the new wireless microphone for this episode. It is recorded during a trip from Beit Sahur to Nablus. The trip was organized by some of the new local tour guides with whom I studied at the Bible College. And it was their first experience in organizing such an excursion. The trip took us to Nablus, that's in the north of the West Bank. And on the way, we visited Jacob's Well, the church, and the archaeological site of Sebastia. After the lunch, we walked around the old city of Nablus, and there I also recorded for another podcast episode that is coming soon. It was with the owners of one of the olive soap factories in Nablus, and that is for a special series I'm working on in cooperation with Handmade Palestine about Palestinian artisans and their work. In this episode, you can hear audio that I recorded during our visit to the Jacobswell Church and to Sebastia. You will hear several names of locations in this episode, so let me get you familiar with them before we start the virtual tour. So we drove up to Nablus and... This is today's Palestinian city between the two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, in Arabic Jabal al-Tur and Jabal Ibal. And the city of Nablus is in the valley between these two mountains. The name of the city, Nablus, is an Arabic corruption of the original Greek name, which was Flavia Neapolis. And this is the name that was given to it by the emperor Titus Flavius Vespasian, who was the one who had the city built. The city was built around 72 after Christ, and he built it mainly for his veteran soldiers to live. It was a Roman city with a typical Roman layout with the two main roads, the Cardo and the Decumanus. It was built on a strategic location. It prospered because it was on a strategic location and because of its many water springs. The city was conquered in 636 by the Arabs and then the name transformed by time to Nablus. The crusaders also changed the name when they were there and they called it Naples. Probably that's what it sounded like to the ears of the European conquerors. But long before this Roman city of Neapolis was built, there was already a Bronze Age city, a Canaanite city, that was called Shechem. And the remains of that city can now be found at an archaeological site called Tel Balata. This city, Shechem, had walls, a triple gate, a big fortress temple, and an acropolis. And if you visit the archaeological site today, you can see several of these remains that have been excavated. In the Bible book of Genesis, Shechem is mentioned. It is mentioned as the place where Abraham, on his first arrival from Mesopotamia to Canaan, that he set up his camp in Shechem at the great oak tree of Moreh. And then later, his grandson Jacob dug a well in the same area. And because of these stories, we can still hear Jewish Israelis today calling Nablus Shechem or Shem. Although they are two different sites with different histories, Nablus is until today a vibrant city where Palestinians live. And Shechem or Sheim is an archaeological site where people lived until it was destroyed in 67 after Christ. And the archaeological site of Tel Balata, the well of Jacob, and the tomb where, according to tradition, the bones of Jacob's son Joseph that were brought out from Egypt, they were buried here, they are situated in the Palestinian village of Balata. And this village is now part of Greater Nablus. And there's also a refugee camp, one of three refugee camps in Nablus that is called Balata. And the name Balata may be related to the Arabic word for oak, balut. And this could be in relation to the story of the sacred oak tree where Abraham set up his camp. Nablus has been largely a Muslim Arab city for many centuries... But there is also a small Samaritan community. And hopefully in the future I will be able to do a podcast episode about the Samaritans. The region was called Samaria. It was called Samaria since the Iron Age time, when a city was established with the name Samaria and became the capital of the region and the name-giver of that region. The Israelite kings... King Omri and King Ahab had a palace in the capital and they ruled from there, from Samaria. Later, King Herod the Great founded the new Roman city on the site that he called Sebast. And Sebast comes from Sebastos, which is the Greek name to honor the emperor, just like in Latin Augustus. In Greek, the name of honor for the emperor was Sebastos. Today's Palestinian village near the archaeological site is still called Sebastia. So, I hope that gives you some insight into the geographical names and the little bit of history of the place. And now, let's go on the tour. <music> We just arrived to Nablus, and on the first stop, we are here at a beautiful church, quite unexpected, in the middle of the city. And this is the church of Jacob's Well. I'm here with Salim. Can you tell us what is the story behind the church? Churches are always built on a location where a biblical story happens. So what is the story here?
1: So the story here is it's the well, the name of the church, Jacob's Well. We know that Jacob, when he came to Shekim or Nablus today, he dug a well, Because, you know, Jacob, like many other people, they were the type of, the the, like the Bedouins who travel with his family and maybe his flock. So when they came here, they had to dig this well. So, you know, they could have water and so they could stay here for some time. And so because of that, he dug the well, which is Jacob's well today. There's a lot of more interesting parts about the well that it's actually a lot deeper than when it's usual. And it's a well, so it doesn't change locations. It's where it, where it is. Uh, the city itself has many rivers, but he's trusted God in a place among many rivers to play, find a place where he could dig a well and find the water at the bottom of the well. And uh, rest for it. Biblically, in the New Testament, the story of the well comes again with a very, very, very important part, especially in the journey of Jesus, where in the book of John, he says, where he met the Samaritan woman. And this beautiful encounter, you know, as we know, there's this huge problem between Jews and some and Samaritans in the Old Testament, but Jesus wants to break that conflict and, and enemy type rhythm. So he meets the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, where we are right now, you know, two thousand years ago, sitting where of course there's no lots of trees and, and a big building right now where we are standing in and the beautiful, you know, symmetric everywhere in like a, A beautiful picture is an iconics. It's just probably an open area where there's this like circle round rocks because it's the well and a stick with a rope or something that they could, you know, pull the rope down so they could pull the water. So out in the open area, he meets this woman. She comes in the afternoon to take the water. And then there's this really good theological, big theological debate and discussion happens between him and her. And she's known to be the very first evangelist. A woman, 2,000 years ago, she was the very first evangelist who believed in Christ, then went back to Shekim to Nablus, and to the city where she's from, and started sharing the gospel, or sharing, of course, that she met Jesus and what they told each other. So that's the biblical part of the story of Jacob's well.
0: Yeah, and you said that the well used to be much deeper, so it was dug until they found water when Jacob did that. And then you said, but it's not as deep anymore. What happened? Well,
1: I mean, it's not that deep because, again, it's 2,000 years ago. People knew this place. So either people want to see it, they want to experiment, they want to throw rocks to see how it sounds. So people, you know, after many thousands of years and tours and groups coming, it just piled up. So it used to be, as they say, 40 meters deep. Now it's, I think, 20 meters deep. So half of it is just people either exploiting, nature changes, you know, we know that there are a lot of earthquakes and years happening, maybe that affected as well the nature of the well itself, but it still exists where it is.
0: Yeah, when I look at the church, it's a very beautifully decorated church. It's in white kind of limestone, I would say. It has this very typical Romanesque appearance to it. Do you know around which time this is built? So it was more built
1: recently because, uh, again, with the earthquakes I mentioned, during the Byzantine time, the earthquakes had affected the church and it was destroyed. If we look behind the church, if we go behind the church, there are still the ruins of the old churches. The father who is actually now in the church, who takes care of the church, he's the one who more recently built the church. And he finished building the church in the 17th of May of uh, 1998, which actually... You can find that date on the rock on the side of the church, which
0: is right there. Oh, if I had <laughs> just looked up, I would have seen that 1998. <laughs> it wasn't that no, and I can see. I mean, it's very clean, and it's very everything looks very uh, well maintained here. It's a very beautiful church on the outskirts of Nablus. I heard that we are actually going to go and. Taste some of the water,
1: yes, we'll go inside now where the well is, we'll go taste some water, experience that uh, traditional when the groups come and pour the water in and count so we can see how far the water is really deep, so we'll do that. unfortunately, we can't take pictures because we're not allowed to take pictures down there, so I'm sure with the podcast and audio that's no that's no problem. yeah,
0: yeah no problem. We <laughs> do it with only with audio. thank you, Salim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> بيزي تاني من يوحنا الأول اللي بقوله الأول الكلمة الكلمة ذل هذي بعدين كسر حاله لما سوته يقول للنجيل في كل حد استبوا أو الماروا خمرة
2: وتاني اللي
0: ربنا So we just inside heard a story from the Greek priest who lives here. That was quite an intense story. Can you just tell that to the podcast listeners?
3: Okay, so he explained the history of the church, but he spoke about the last hundred years when clashes started happening between the Jewish claimers of the place and the Christian owners. So the Jews were rummaging the place, trying to to take it into their ownership. He spoke about uh, the time when they killed the priest, whose remains are found inside the church now. You can see it inside. But he added more to the story that uh, that I know. The story that I know is that four of them went into the church, and they handcuffed him, and they tried to interrogate him, and eventually they killed him near the, the well. And they left him there, and they burned the church, or part of the church, and, the, and left. But what he said is that there were four, and they were the priest and also a nun. They tried to butcher the priest, but the priest uh, told the nun to take cover inside the well. So what they did is that they threw a grenade into the well, and they were also still settler troopers raiding outside in an attempt to enter the church. When they heard the grenade explode, they thought that Palestinians are fighting back, and they're the ones who were throwing grenades. So they entered, and they shot the four of them, killing three of the Jewish settlers. So they killed their own kind. And the one who was left to try to hide was caught by the priest, and the priest at the time was 40 years old. So he was still a muscled man. He he could take control of one uh, perpetrator, let's say. So he took hold of him until the police came, and he he told the police, "And what do you think of this guy? Is he is he Jewish, Muslim, Christian, or what do you think of him?" And he's a settler, and he's trying to do all these kind of things. He's throwing grenades, and but he said that the word was already uh, in mind that every time that this happens by a settler, he's not marked as a terrorist or. As a perpetrator, but as a lunatic or a lone wolf. So we're like, he's crazy and okay, we'll take him to court. And that's when the proceedings will never end, because he's a settler. You can see his uh, remains are on the right side of the church. And the well is on the inside of the church in the middle, uh, before the iconostasis, also on the right hand. You enter it from the right hand and you you go out from the left entrance. But his remains, and as you can see on your right hand, the remains of the priest they killed during, let's say, the break, the invasion, whatever you can call it. And it's not lunacy, it's terrorism, of course. That's something that's not particular to one race. It's uh, it's by all means marked by all races. What they did here was pure racism, pure terrorism, and they wanted to just claim it by any illegal way uh, that matters.
0: I'm just walking up to the... Right abs of the church, and here there is an icon depicting the priest who was killed. There is a coffin, and in the coffin there is the remains, but it's covered with a piece of cloth, so we don't see the actual bones. But it's a, it's an Orthodox church, so it's very, very fully decorated, and uh, a lot of people who are coming here also they hang beads and crosses and small decorations here around the coffin of this killed priest. The church itself is full of beautiful paintings and icons. It has a dome in the middle where we see Jesus and he is surrounded by angels. And then there are several depictions of stories related to the Old Testament the story of Jacob digging the water well and the story of Abraham and Isaac story of Jesus and the Samaritan from the New Testament and now we're going to go down to where the well was dug according to tradition <laughs> The sound that you hear is the sound of the wheel that they are using to pull up with a rope the water from the well with a bucket. It's a bit squeaky. I guess it would need a little bit of oil.
1: تخيل لو remember how it was for 20 years, you can't wait to see the church with the Samira here. You can hear this water. You can drink it. You can give me نص water from this water. Here, you can drink it. You can drink it. I'm going to drink it. I'm
2: going I'm going to drink it.
4: نسمع
0: it's very deep. we just heard when Nawaf uh, poured down some water into the well and it took seconds before we could hear it dropping down on the bottom. Nayef, I want to ask you this question. We live here in Palestine with a number of different monotheistic religions, Jewish and Christian and Muslim. And you're a Christian. And now we're in Nablus where you don't come very often because it's not so easy to reach here. We spend more than two hours on the road coming here. So how does it feel for you to reach to a church that is part of your history, narrative, religion, and to be able to visit here? And like in general, how important is it for you to be able to visit those places?
4: We really love to go to such as these places that belongs to our grandfathers and their grandfathers and generations ago. So we all are committed to this kind of places. We love to visit these churches, these places that has a historical or Christian background. When I come here, like, as I said before, it took us about two and a half hours but it's worth it we can see like the place that has two events two many events jacob's well where jacob dug his own well and the other one is the biblical story which is the samaritan woman with jesus interaction and what he told her and how he can with like his few words to her he can bring her to believe in God and a lot of others from her, uh, like her side. So when I come to this place, when I see like the huge place with the relics inside, they have relics of the jar of the Samaritan woman and relics of her skull. They have it inside. You can like, be like closer to these stories and you can feel it.
0: Elias, you just came out from the church. have just said that there are these two main stories here. One is the story of the well that Jacob dug, Mm -hmm. we're talking about 3,000 years ago, but then there is a story about Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman. What was the importance of that story for Christians, besides the fact that he talked to a woman, that was probably not something common to do, but what is the importance of that story for you?
2: Basically, the importance is that for both Jews and Samaritans, the temple and the existence of God was related to a specific spot or a specific location. Jews believe that God is in Jerusalem and at the same time the Samaritans believe that their God is at Mount Gerizim. So God wanted to change this idea and that the temple will not be in a location anymore. The temple will be inside of each person. will not be something related to a location or a spot or anything. That was the main point and the the main objective of the whole conversation with the Samaritan woman.
0: Yeah, because she asked him, right? She asked him that, how do you speak to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. And then she asked him, because she knew he's a rabbi, that, by the way, what is it with you that you always pray in Jerusalem? And why do we pray here on Mount Gerizim? And then he explained to her that it doesn't matter anymore. Now that I'm here, it's about your heart, where your heart is. Even
2: the disciples, actually, the disciples themselves were astonished that Jesus, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. But then he he explained himself. He said that this thing, this conflict will not matter anymore. And and everything will change. The temple will change everything will change.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jesus had that message that he came for everyone, not just for one particular people, not only for the Jewish people, but for, for everybody. I just saw out from the bus these two mountains between which Nablus lays, actually, sort of in the valley between the mountains. Can you just mention a little bit about these two mountains yes. and their importance?
2: So uh, basically th- those two mountains, Mount Jerzim and uh, Mount Ebal, Mount Jerzim is uh, basically where the Samaritans currently live. It was abandoned for a long time. Uh, only recently, the Samaritans bought a, a piece of land and they, they are living there. They pray there, all of their feasts. Both mountains acted as a towers for protection for the, the city of Nablus because the city was one of the hardest places to be defended because it's open on all locations. So basically, the, those mountains acted as towers to defend the
0: city. And there was a biblical event here also related to Joshua because we're always speaking about the Bible since we studied the Bible college that when they arrived from the the Israelites that left Egypt and wandered in the desert for about 40 years and then they arrived here and then they had been led by Moses but Moses was not allowed to enter the land because he did something that God didn't appreciate and then it was Joshua who took them and he took them here and then what?
2: He then uh, separated the... The Jewish groups, the 12 tribes, he separated them on the two mountains. One was for the blessings and one was for the the curses. Uh, Each each tribe would say a curse and one would say uh, a blessing
0: they pronounce the curses and the blessings from Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And now if we look at Mount Ebal, we can still see that it's the the mountain without a lot of vegetation and the Mount Gerizim from which they said the blessings is the mountain that's full of green trees. So they say that still the Mount Gerizim is the blessed mountain and Ebal.
2: (laughs) Until this day, uh, the people of Nablus, they would not go and build there and live there. Only recently, and maybe 10 Or twenty years ago, people started thinking about it because it's an empty place, an empty land. But before that, they and the the story, the tradition stayed along. Yeah,
0: yeah. You see how traditions can live for centuries and centuries. Okay, we're gonna get back on the bus now.
2: انا بحبك يا اللي قاير بالهوى في
0: منطوره او صوره خدني لعن عن دنيا We are here at a beautiful site to the north of Nablus and it's called Sebast. It's an archaeological site and Elias just told the group in Arabic about it. Can you do a summary in English? What is this site? And maybe it's prehistory also.
2: Okay, so uh, let me start first of all with the name. The name Samaria or Samaria it came uh, from the the, actually the owner of the land, the original owner. After in the 9th century BC, around 875, King Omri actually bought this land from a guy called Shamron, and that's why the area was called after him. So now it was called Samaria. The name was changed to Sebastia as a meaning of giving glories to the Roman Emperor during the Roman period. It passed through several uh, periods of time, uh, starting from uh, the period of the Israelites, moving on to the Persians, the Hellenistic, where Alexander the Great actually was here uh, multiple times. He had uh, a lot of his, uh, his soldiers, they were here. He ended actually the existence of the Persians in this area. Afterwards, uh, we have the Roman period with Herod. Herod, during his time of prosperity, fell in love with building enormous buildings. And he built places everywhere, in Caesarea, in uh, in, uh, Bethlehem, uh, the Herodium palace, and right here in Sebastia. Many stories happened here. For example, Herod actually killed two of his sons right in this place. This place was actually um, not full of uh, religious people, so it was like a gateway for Herod. He could do the the illegal stuff, not be judged, uh, same as in in Jerusalem. We visited uh, here multiple sites, the basilica and the forum where all the the trades and all the legal matters happened. Right now we are in the uh, the theater. It was built between the 2nd and 3rd century A.D., we're going to see some of the walls, some of the most preserved walls from the Hellenistic period in Palestine. And then we will be moving on to the, the palace of King Omri and the Ahab.
0: Great, we'll follow you. Yeah, we're here in the middle of the theater and it's amazing. I mean, there are many Roman theaters around the world that people can visit. And there are definitely also a number of them in historic Palestine. But this one is very cute and if you go up, you have a beautiful view over the area and it was so nice because all the Palestinians that are in this group, they sat there and a guy came with an, uh, a sauce, which is a Turkish instrument, and he played and they all sang. It was so beautiful. And if I look up, I can see part of the Iron Age time wall. This is what they call the Israelite wall. It's from the time of the Israelite tribes when they came and conquered the land from the Canaanites. And we can see next to it part of the wall that is dating back from the Hellenistic time. So that is about the third, second century before Christ. And then we are in the Roman theater that dates from around the second century after Christ. So walking here, you really feel the history of the place. So many different people came and lived in this land. And one empire would replace the other empire. And remains, of course, would stay. And it is hard for Palestinians here to excavate this site because they are under Israeli control. This is Area C, and that means that they are not able to dig and excavate without the Israelis getting into their business. And they are really trying to avoid the place from becoming an Israeli archaeological site that would be meaning a national park where people would have to pay entrance fees. And the Israelis will take that as an opportunity to control the region even more. So it lacks a little bit of uh, care here. There is a lot of things on this tell, and remember, a tell is a man made mound of superimposed cities. And underneath here is a lot more to explore archaeologically. So we're climbing up the hill and we're going to see the rest of the
2: site.
0: (laughs) Ah, this
2: one, this one is Hippodrome. The Hippodrome was something for entertainment. So. It like a stadium, people would a pure entertainment. A entertainment. A entertainment. A entertainment. Right. This is the Hippodrome. It was basically for entertainment for here during the Roman uh, period. Uh, people would gather and watch horse races and uh, etc. Now I'm going to show you uh, something else right here. لا اورجيكم كل شيء هون حلو <تصفيق>
0: واحدة أنا أشتغل في هذا. to كمان.
2: شكرًا
4: لك. شكرًا لك. شكرًا لك. شكرًا
2: لك. شكرًا لك. شكرًا لك. شكرًا لك.
0: شكرًا لك. شكرًا لك. شكرًا لك. شكرًا لك. The tower that Elias pointed out dates back to the time of Alexander the Great who conquered Palestine around 330 before Christ. And when he conquered the land, he ordered that the city of Sebast should be reinforced with circular towers. And this is one of them. And it is in a very good shape. It's one of the best Hellenistic towers that can be found in Palestine. After we saw the tower, we continued up the hill. And there we saw the remains of the stairs that used to lead up to a platform. And on that platform, there used to be a Roman temple that was dedicated to the Emperor Augustus. Of the temple itself, nothing remains. Then we walked around that to the other side of the hill, and there we found the remains of a big complex. It had different rooms. We saw some millstones laying around. They were probably used to grind grains or maybe olives. And while the excavators were excavating this building, they found a large amount of ivory. And because of the description of the palace of the Israelite kings Omri and Ahab in the Bible, that the palace was inlaid with ivory, the immediate conclusion by those biblical archaeologists was that this was the palace of the Israelite kings. So in most tour guide books and most tour guides will tell you that this is the palace of King Ahab. But as often happens in the Holy Land, There is a lot of will to find archaeological remains that prove that the Bible stories were right and conclusions are often made very fast. There are other archaeologists, like, for example, the famous British archaeologist Kathleen Kinion, who did a lot of excavations in the Holy Land. She concluded that these ivory fragments were from a much later time than the Iron Age. She dated them back to the Hellenistic and Roman period, which is second, first century before Christ and the first century after Christ. So not to the seventh century before Christ in which King Ahab and King Omri lived. Now this ivory, some of it was brought to the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, but other pieces can be found in different museums around the world. So it remains... A question whether this is King Ahab's palace or whether it is a very big complex that dates from later time. The last excavation that we saw on this tell was a Byzantine church from the sixth century after Christ. You could see the outer walls and some of the columns and the shape of the apses. And then there's an opening to stairs that lead down to the old crypt of the church and the reason why this church was built here by the byzantines is that according to tradition this was the place where the body of john the baptist was buried after he was beheaded and if you don't know the story of john the baptist i will read it to you from the bible at that time herod the tetrarch He was the son of Herod the Great. He was Herod Antipas. He heard the reports about Jesus and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests, and she pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted. And he had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. And John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. Now, there are several stories as to where John the Baptist was beheaded and buried. And according to the historian Josephus, who was living in the time of Jesus, he's very often quoted, this banquet, according to him, where John the Baptist was beheaded, was in Macaeru's fortress, which is in current-day Jordan. And there is another site in the town of Sebastia itself, so not on the archaeological site, but in the current-day village, where a Byzantine church was built and later a crusader, bigger crusader church was built over it, because of the same story that John the Baptist was beheaded there. And after Saladin defeated the crusaders, a mosque was added. And in the mosque that still exists and is in use today, there is a shrine for the prophet John the Baptist, who is called in Arabic prophet Yahya. As we walked back towards the bus, we looked down from the tell and we saw a row of columns. And these columns once used to line up the cardo, the main road of Sebast. On either side of the road, there used to be shops. It was a big commercial street that ran all through the center of the city. Today, it's a small road. It lays between the olive trees That area covers thousands of years of history, and all of that is now hidden under a layer of earth. And this is what I find so intriguing, that thousands of years ago, there was a massive city here with big buildings, with walls, towers, and the only thing that remains today is ruins and stories that can bring these ruins to life. And it makes me feel very humble in the face of time. All that we build now will one day no longer exist. And how do we want future generations to look at us, to remember us? What is our legacy? So those were my thoughts while we were back on the bus. And traveling with Palestinians never leaves you a dull moment. So there was music in the bus and dancing And of course, we ate Kneffe in Nablus. But about Nablus, I will tell you another time in another podcast episode. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Stories from Palestine. If you enjoy the podcast, then here are several things you can do to support the show. Tell your friends about the podcast. Share some of the social media posts on Instagram or Facebook. Start following the YouTube channel. You can also hear the podcast audio there. And soon I will start uploading videos. Sign up for the email list so that you get a reminder with a clickable link to the new podcast episode. And in the future, you will be updated about programs and trips that I will start to organize. And of course, you can donate to help me pay for hosting the podcast and the website and all the related recording costs. It's the only source of income I have at the moment, so you can imagine how much I appreciate it every cup of coffee or falafel sandwich that you buy me on the Kofi platform all the links that you need can be found in the show notes and on the website storiesfrompalestine.info that's it i hope you will tune in again next week